hello once again. I'm uh, again here with uh, Rajiv Malhotra because I I can't seem to get enough. Uh, and we should continue our, our conversation, uh, Rajiv. You talked about um, the Kurukshetra of today. We talked about the Kurukshetra from the Mahabharata and compared the two. And uh, so I want to ask you, uh, where are the Pandavas today? Where are the you know where is your where is your team? Where is your army? Uh, in the in the uh, Mahabharata, you know they they in detail discuss the Maharathas on each side, the weapons they have, the conches each one has. So uh, we won't get into the details of the specialties, but who are I mean who are your people? So my people are the people who need to be on our side. Okay, so. I am creating a home team. Uh, I have not been very successful in getting it already. Uh, I have a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of passion at different levels. Many people are very good, high potential people that will become leaders, I'm sure. We have uh, some leaders who are on the outside. Previously, I called them type three. They are independently created their own movements. But you know, the traditional scholars who really have the subject matter expertise who ought to be joining have uh, in some cases, they are limited in what they really know, their capabilities uh, or their risk-taking ability, their debating ability, maybe their English language skills, uh, maybe they are lazy. Uh, some of them have sold out. They, they, some of the best Pandava uh, you know, potential brains have sold out to the other side because the other side has been at it. They're very smart and they bought them off. They bought them off in various ways. So you find that a, a large part of the intellectual sepoys working on the other side ought to have been our Pandavas. But we did not have the strategic vision that we are now presenting in the previous decades. So that no one with the means through all these decades actually identified this as a problem and actually tried to cultivate these Pandavas on our side. Because Pandavas aren't just sitting there, you have to nurture them and give birth to these people. I mean, would you say no one really has uh, been a Pandava before? Because there have been uh, some stray Pandava sightings before who have uh, serious scholars who've taken on Western Indologists, who've disagreed with them. Uh, I want to ask you what makes your approach different, your impact different uh, from theirs? Yes, yes. So the West is not static. The West is changing. So what uh, Dayanand Saraswati, the founder of the Arya Samaj, he was one of the, he did a lot of critique of Western Indology in those days, Christianity, you might say. But there was no Marxism at that time. Marxism hadn't been born in terms of its impact. Uh, it, took a, it took a half a century or longer until Lenin started, uh, you know, the communist revolution and so on. Uh, the impact of Marxism wasn't there. So it wasn't part of uh, European Indology during that era. It wasn't part of European Indology. It's a later thing that happened in Europe. So at that time, the Indians who gave a response to the European Indology did not give a response to the Marxist version because it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So just like the, every time the European thought advances, it advanced from a Christian version to an Enlightenment era version to a Marxist version to a postmodernist version. You know, so every time it advances, then you need on our side another advance to respond to it. So this is why if you are, if somebody has responded to version N, of Indology, uh, then when they, when they come up with N plus 1, you need a whole new approach to respond to. So, so you can't live in the old laurels. You can't say somebody has done this before because the West is always moving. There is no finality of West and there is no finality of our Purva Paksha of the West. This is a problem I have with people who feel it's already been done. 
it's a tendency of our people to say that it's all been thought of, everything has been done, so you don't have to do anything now. And it's a very nice cop-out to do nothing and to have a lazy life and say, oh no, it's all been done, it's all been written once, you know, that sort of thing. Now, does it mean that uh, traditional scholars, and I don't mean to deviate, but uh, to keep up with this kind of thing, uh, does it mean traditional scholars should also keep up with the Western of social sciences constantly? Yes. I mean, I'm sure uh, if there was somebody debating against Shankara, the Dvaita, uh, because they were against Vedant, then a few centuries later they would have to brush up on what Ramanujan said and have to debate him and then debate the, uh, you know, the Vets uh, and, and so on. So every time Vedanta advanced, those people who wanted to debate against them would also have to advance their knowledge. You cannot go on debating against, arguing against Shankara uh, and say I've debunked Vedanta because Vedanta also has evolved. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is a fallacy we have to assume that the opposing side is sitting with their bows and arrows, that's their weapons and we can fight them. Their weapons have advanced way beyond uh, our, uh, our knowledge of them. This is how obsolete we are. Because we haven't gone and looked at them. We haven't sent our people to understand and come back. When we sent our people to understand the West, they just stayed there and became westernized. Right. Or they came back as the sepoys of the West. Mm -hmm. Now the West sends missionaries. They don't convert and become Hindus and desert. Uh, they send their anthropologists. They, send their, they, they transported the whole Marxist ideology to the Indian left. The Indian left is not a homegrown Marxist ideology. It came from Europe. Uh, the whole post-colonial ideology came from Europe that the Indians have. The whole post-modernist thought came from Europe. Europeans have been very successful in exporting things that take a permanent base in India. Mm -hmm. We have not been able to do that in the same way. In terms of uh, sending people who will learn Western thought very critically, bring it back and tell us how to critique the latest thought. So th this business of me critiquing uh, Wendy Doniger got the same same response from our traditionalists. There's nothing new. These are old missionaries doing it. There's nothing to do with missionaries in this. It has to do with Freudian psychoanalysis. They were just lazy to understand. The same is now happening with Pollock. People wanting to say we've already done it, right. but we haven't. Now, we have a very rich tradition of uh, intellectual rigor, debate, uh, and such, uh, like you pointed out with the, um, you know, Bhagavad Pada, Adi Shankara's work, things like that. Now, where, uh, but in modern times, we find that uh, we are afraid to put a good challenge to the West. Uh, we are afraid to debate. Now, where did this debate? I mean, this uh, you know, this divide happen, and uh, what's the cause for this? So, in the Battle for Sanskrit, in one of the final chapters, I've actually addressed what, why did we the death of Purvapaksha? I call right. it the death. It's a section where I talk about when did this happen. Why is it that during the Islamic period, there wasn't a real solid rebuttal to Islam from an intellectual standpoint? I mean, we were fighting them on a military basis, but why didn't we say, okay, now these guys have come from somewhere else, they have a different Siddhant, what is wrong with it from our point of view, and why aren't we teaching in our Parshalas how to argue back to the Muslims? And then when the British came, uh, you know, we just, I mean, there was not that much of a response. There was some response here and there, like Dhenan Saraswati of the Arya Samad and a few others did give responses. But the British had been here much longer, much earlier. The Portuguese were here long ago. Now, some sporadic examples exist where somebody, some Brahmins really debated them. But this was not institutionalized as our training. It was like one man's effort. And it died with that one man. It did not become part of the institutionalization of learning the way the debates in Vedanta 
uh, with the other people became part of the institutionalized education system. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, uh, after the era of the Vedantins, we did not institutionalize ongoing new uh, updated Purva Paksha, Uttar Paksha debates with opposing sides. Now there are different theories on why it happened. One theory is that the Buddhists made us kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, not very aggressive in fighting. This is one theory. Another theory I've heard is that the Arthashastra was our vehicle for learning how to, uh, how, to under, how to have strategy, cunning, how to interpret the other guy, how to read between the lines. Arthashastra was the vehicle. And Arthashastra disappeared. You know, Arthashastra, a copy was found in the early 1900s uh, by some farmer in Kerala, Kerala. or I don't know, somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, until then, for centuries, Arthashastra, we knew that such a thing did exist because it was referenced, but we couldn't find a copy of it. Mm -hmm. So it means that it was not in active teaching. For some reason, we stopped teaching that. Now, could it be, it's just a theory, that the foreign rulers, first the Muslims and then the British, Mm -hmm. did not want the Hindus to be strategic. Mm -hmm. One way you rule over people who are very intelligent is you deny them the strategic thinking because the smart strategic people are the ones who revolt against you. Right. You can keep them happy with saying everything is one and it's all Brahman ultimately. Give me your wealth and I'm a, you, your karma doesn't allow you to have wealth. You give, make a fool out of them in a sense. So a lot of our people perhaps got self-duped uh, or uh, you know deluded. deceived, deluded. Because we did not have, we lost that aggressiveness, we lost that kshatriyata. Mm. So, that, uh, was it the Buddhists who did it? Was it the Arthashastra absence that we, you did it? Is it that we lost so much, so much in battles with the Muslims that the only way to survive was you become their slave mm -hmm. and then you accept them as the masters and you are very happy with one roti and one little thing and you keep praising the glory of uh, not having any material wealth, which was traditionally not the case in our society. So this whole business of uh, a loser mentality, you know, lose and find glory in that. That I can see, or you know, I gave it up to you, you took my money, or good, you took it now, I don't need it. This kind of a thing we were taught, perhaps, as a slave mentality. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is theory, this is theory. Right, right. So, for some reason, we did not have this aggression that we once did in the early periods, the texts have debate aggression. People talk with great audacity. They're very tough on each other and they talk back and they're yeah, not really... With rigor. With rigor. Analysis. Analysis. Why did that go away? Why is it that for so many centuries we did not produce that kind of stuff? Or where we produced, people will find me this example or that example and I'll quickly tell them, it did not become institutionalized. Mm -hmm. It is not something that was became part of the Patshala curriculum. Maybe some guy produced it, but so what? That this is... So this is an important thing we should think about. Mm -hmm. Is that... that it, we should not accept that we are passive people. We should not accept that. But somehow we've become passive and we need to get re-energized. Mm -hmm. No, no, that's, that's true. Now you, with the battle of Sanskrit, you traveled all across India. Um, now, tell me there are some prominent members uh, in the Hindu community, as prominent leaders, uh, thinkers, who seem aligned with your ideology, but even they don't make make it to your team, your Pandava uh, army. So, what's happening there? So, I, I got a lot of uh, support, uh, so many endorsements in my book, so many people uh, inviting me, so many institutions like Delhi University, Sanskrit Department, JNU Sanskrit Department, these are top-notch places, 
भारतीय दिस दिस होल राष्ट्रीय संस्कृत संस्थान संस्कृत भारती सो मेनी ग्रेट इंस्टीट्यूशन सपोर्टेड मी एंड स्टिल सपोर्ट मी एंड लीडर्स वेरी क्लोज टू मी आई एम रेगुलर टच विद देम सो आई आई एम वेरी सॉलिडली इंट्रेंच्ड इन दोज कैन सर्कल्स एट द सेम टाइम देर आर सर्कल्स वेयर यू कैन थिंक इट्स जेलसी वेयर वेयर यू कैन थिंक इट्स डिफेंस बाई ऑफेंस मीन्स आई एम बैरस्ड आई हैवन डन इन माई जॉब दिस गाइज एक्सपोज दैट वी हैवन बीन डूइंग आर जॉब सो आई फाइंड सम फ्लॉज एंड जम्प एट हिम एंड इट्स मोर लाइक अ डिफेंसिव रिएक्शन I don't know what the how to make what to make of it, but it is unproductive. In other words, there are prominent one one or two people only who have basically not come forth with with hey I'll join this battle and here I am. Uh, when I tell them come join the battle, in fact I want you to take over. I I would like to move on to my next battle because I'm not a one battle man. I I have I'm a serial uh, uh, you know producer of these warrior kind of uh, books, mm-hmm. uh, so. Uh, I w- I'm ready to go on to the next one. This was not my first. This is not my last. And would you please step into my shoes and take over? And they are afraid. They don't want that responsibility. They don't want that accountability. And yet, it's like hit and run. Hit, uh, drop a bomb and run away and say, "Okay, now it's not my job." So that's kind of mentality that is disruptive. It is not helping us. You can say they are ideologically aligned, but are they are they able to and interested in and willing to actually take over responsibility and start this movement? so uh for them to take pot shots from the side is not helping anything now i mean in in defense of certain people who are traditionalists uh i mean i've seen some of them they uh, uh they have their own students whom they have to mentor and teach uh they have uh, everyday anushthanams that that take up a lot of time um and then they have uh, research and learning and teaching that they do on the side uh, as well so um, they are also writing books and publishing and things like that now so they essentially can't take part in in your battle so uh, would you still blame them for that well so they have a different part of the different role to play is what you're saying mm-hmm. they have different roles to which, play which is a full which, which, which is, is a role, full play and and those are roles i'm not playing right but uh, so they have certain roles to play and mine is different roles they don't want to play uh, now i don't interfere in their roles i don't claim i ought, uh, you guys are no good and i'm better uh, i i don't uh, uh, kind of uh, try to diss their efforts uh, i realize that they are good in what they do and i respect them in fact i go and give them my pranam and very happy they're doing all this but the reciprocal is not there they are somehow not able to do my kind of work but not in content that i'm doing the best i can and it's pretty good actually by a lot of people criteria so and i need to do better i need help so they need to recognize that this kurukshetra has many wars going on many kinds of specialists are needed they are creating certain types of resources certain types of capacities and that's very necessary and i'm creating different things which are complement and we should work together and we should leave each other alone if we cannot help each other we should not interfere with each other so i in the corporate world these kind of people were always there and the good leaders good corporate executives would recognize this pattern and throw them out because this is the kind of person who will come in a project meeting he's not willing to take responsibility and say okay this is my job but he's passing comment here passing comment there he doesn't know enough he has no experience in what he's talking about because he's never done it himself so he's more trying to show his importance by pontificating on things which are over his head but when told okay now you take it over and you make it happen he doesn't want to do it so there is this motto lead or follow or get out of the way and i saw this at the desk of uh, this guy uh, who was the uh, 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 what was his name uh, raspero mm-hmm. 
So at one time, uh, you know, ITT where I worked, we, we were thinking of acquiring his company, which mm -hmm. we couldn't. So we got to know him very well. Mm -hmm. This is way back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. So he's this Texan guy, mm -hmm. very, you know, tough talking fellow. And, uh, you know, very all kind of things he had on his desk. Very interesting, very colorful man. Mm -hmm. And so he had this motto. And, it, uh, and he said this he got from Genghis Khan. I don't know where he got it from. <laughs> but he says that one, when, when we asked what is your secret to success, because, you know, before there was outsourcing, mm -hmm. we think that Indians invented outsourcing. Ross Perot invented outsourcing. Okay. Uh, we took it overseas. But his outsourcing was within the United States. Mm. What he did is he convinced Blue Cross of California, who had several tens of thousands of employees doing back office work, mm. to take over all those people and turn them over to him. Mm -hmm. And he could do it cheaper and better. Mm -hmm. So he showed that you could take paperwork, back office work, and outsource it to a vendor. And he became a very rich man. And then he started going to one big uh, organization after another and outsourcing. And his uh, EDS, the system EDS, was right, EDS right, system, right, right, right. which was later acquired by others and so on, became the first large successful outsourcing company. Mm -hmm. Long before, years before Indians got involved in this, he had done it. So he's a visionary and a very strong man. So we wanted to know how he is doing all this. And this was his motto, that you tell a person you lead, I give you this leadership, you do it. If you can't, then you follow this guy. Otherwise, just get out of the way. Now that I thought was very smart. So I have come up with uh, type 1 who is the opponent in the Kurukshetra. Type 2 is my home team. You're welcome to come and join my home team. Type 3 are independent leaders who are huge leaders. They made a big impact and you can lead. You can be one of those. You can follow in my organization and actually become a leader. Eventually, eventually grow and become your own leader. Mm -hmm. But if you can't be any of these, then you should just get out of the way. Don't just mess around, take a hit, a hit here and they were running away and then talk something and say, oh, no, 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 I was actually helping you, sir. I was trying to tell you what to do your job better. I mean, just nuisance kind of people. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel that that is what is the problem facing our, uh, our community. Uh, we have talent that has not learned teamwork. Right. right. No, so that is my next question. So if we can't, uh, you do this lead, follow, get out of the way, but... Uh, but also, how do we try and bring in people so they work well together? Um, and if you and teamwork is a buzzword that everybody uses uh, in in corporations all over the world now. And so, give me give me concrete examples of what you saw as good teamwork in your business life, and uh, how we could apply some of those concepts uh, in the Kurukshetra. You know, in the corporate world, um, so much I learned about management, the way the Americans do it. Um, and I found, found the ability for people who are opponents to come together, to compartmentalize what they're opposing and come together and work as a team when they need to. Mm -hmm. So one example is where we had, a, uh, I was uh, a, a, one of these very fast moving young kind of guys in the corporate world um, at working for CEO at the top. And so my boss, and another, uh, we were sitting in a meeting. Two of the senior most guys were having a bitter fight with each other. Mm -hmm. Bitter fight in the sense that they were really getting personal, which is rare in the American establishment. They're supposed to keep that guard and right. particularly the Protestant, you know, cold, logical, analytical, safe. Professional, yeah. Very professional. It's a kind of a Protestant yoga mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. is kind of a self-control, uh, external. We, our yoga is internal. This is a yoga of uh, uh, demeanor. You know, 
we can learn that that's right. useful so these two guys were after each other and so the young people like us four or five sitting there are very embarrassed because you know this is not supposed to happen it's like parents fighting the kids are very embarrassed what to do you know and then the parents have to try to pretend we're not really fighting you know so what happened is we were just scandalized so later we were to go to dinner this was some retreat we were in a retreat called bolton near massachusetts which was owned by our company a golf resort so later when it was dinner time my boss walked over to my room said let's go we walk to the dinner place so we were walking is a long winded walk beautiful woods and all that evening time and we are hearing uh, we see a lights off the tennis courts and we wondering tennis court why would somebody playing tennis and we hearing the ball ding ding so my boss says you know what is going on i said bob what's going on he said those two guys are playing dueling it out so i said no no so i said why are they playing he says so that people like you know that they're a team Okay in front of whatever is going on it's very important before the news leaks out tomorrow and goes all over the world that there's been this big scandal before that happens it's very important that you and all the other guys and me we all know that there actually no fight they are actually nice and sure enough when we walked by the tennis court these two guys were playing tennis mm. and sure enough they came to the dinner very nicely sitting and toasting civil. each other and very civil so this i saw i saw this and actually my my boss in in this particular instance was a jewish guy and he sort of saw me as like his son you know in those as late 20s and he was double my age so he used to talk give me a lot of gyan you know about uh, he would call it this is white protestant culture this is a jewish guy telling me that they will never show emotions and he says you know you you indians show it and we jewish also show it and he he's the one who told me the catholics are different from protestant in behavior the catholics will wave their hands and very emotional and the protestants will sit quietly very cold and uh, not show their emotions mm-hmm. they may hate you but they they know how to not show it mm-hmm. the Brit- the english people have mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and that english uh, protestant mindset that ethos is what started america united states of america is an english mm-hmm. deva- creation more so than a, mm-hmm. more so than a catholic one mm-hmm. in fact catholics to be accepted in this country took a very long time mm-hmm. so this business of teamwork is a protestant thing particularly and and you go back in the history of protestantism protestantism was a very collective team oriented enterprise mm-hmm. and it has a lot to do with the success of the british going overseas english people spreading their empire it has a lot to do with how the united states came about so if you look at this team work it is not something just happened now in the corporate world in the in the west it has long origins and before the protestants the catholics had started because this idea of a congregation the ideas the idea of that we collectively have to go and expand it is whereas in our case the rishi is individually doing his moksha mm-hmm. it is not that we are collectively doing something it is like i have to do my moksha and therefore we are not organized as well therefore not so when we have the concept of sangha it is not the same thing as com- a community in their case congregation in their case because sangha is people helping each other for the inner journey mm-hmm. it is not that we are a sangha to go and invade that group mm-hmm. it is not an expansionist right. so the idea of expansionism because god gave you that mandate he franchised this idea that you got to go and spread it so you have to cultivate the team efforts in order to expand so the the force a warring force has to be team oriented a sales force has to be team oriented so they have very good strategies in sales and marketing americans are very good at marketing because that's also an effort like this 
I think Muslims took this idea of collectiveness mm -hmm. a little bit from the Christian background, mm -hmm. and then they took it to new heights. Right. You know, they took it to new heights. Now you may think that all this means we never had it mm -hmm. in us, mm -hmm. but there's a counter argument I'll give you to uh, oppose my own view. Counter argument is that when you look at the Indus Saraswati civilization, mm -hmm. it's the product of collective thinking, mm -hmm. because you have a lot of standards how tiles are made, the weights, the, the design, the standardization, the uh, standardization architecture, uh, you know. So it seems that it was not a lot of completely unrelated towns. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. It was like a huge organization. But there's no evidence of a large uh, palace or something that was uh, in the hierarchy more powerful. It was all sort of flat structure, a flat social structure, one bedroom, two bedroom flats in large numbers and a couple of thousand such towns exist right. over thousands of miles right. and, and 2000 years. Mm -hmm. So there had to be organization, there had to be teamwork. Maybe there was a standards committee somewhere. I don't know. Uh, maybe there was some group that would go and uh, uh, do some ISO standards or how you're making your tiles or something. I don't know how it was. We don't know. We need to research that. So I don't give up the, uh, I don't say that we did not ever have teamwork in our culture. Uh, I, I, I am very, I've studied very detailed, in a detailed way how the West has it mm -hmm. and what's their origin, which is very biblical origin. Mm -hmm. uh, in our case, why we lost it, I don't know. But I have these theories that it was foreign invasions and various disruptions that we lost this whole purvapaksha of other people, critical analysis of other people, teams were lost, team building was lost because you know uh, somebody ruling over you and want to make you into a slave, uh, want to break down your organization because as long as you're organized, you're a threat. So the moment your organization is broken, then you have become like an individual, you're vulnerable, then you join my organization as a slave. I, I'll give you the marching orders. I'll give you a job description. Right. Yeah. So this this may be the cause of uh, our uh, lack of teamwork. The other side of this whole thing is also the inferiority complex yes. that we have. Yes. How do you combat that? How do you make us feel? Uh, how does a Hindu feel uh, psychologically confident? You see. We lost all the Varnas, if you think of Varnas in a modern sense, uh, if you think of Varnas as sort of social capital, mm -hmm. the, we lost the political capital, the intellectual capital, the financial capital. In a sense, un under colonialism, we became the Shudras. So they owned the, they owned the world of ideas and knowledge and intellectual property uh, and, the, wealth. and wealth and political clout and military clout. So all those uh, Varnas they owned, right? So we became, uh, we became kind of the Shudras working for them. Uh, that is what my idea of the third world is. Uh, when you take a whole group of people and suck them or suck all the, all the stuff out of them and turn them into slaves, then you turn them into shudras. So when they blame us for abusing shudras and all that, we should tell them that they've actually created more shudras in the world than anybody else has, if you really think about it. Mm -hmm. So I think we gained back the political uh, varna at 1947 mm -hmm. when we got the independence. But we didn't have any money and we didn't have uh, intellectual clout. We lost all that. So now in the last 5-10 years, we've got all these billionaires, so we've hopefully got some, you know, Vaishas. financial, Vaishyas we've got. But they're a bit selfish. They're all into their own personal stuff, going around doing selfish things. They're really not into nation building. And here I'll tell you the Rockefellers and the Ford Foundation people and the Carnegies, they were really into nation building. If you look at the history, the contributions of Carnegie 
and Rockefeller and Ford and many others like them mm -hmm. to the construction of the United States is absolutely very amazing mm -hmm. what all they did, mm -hmm. how much they, they put in for building a society, building libraries, building universities. And the idea of America. And the idea of America and building foreign policy. Some bad things, a lot of racism and bad things also, but whatever it is, they at least built whatever, whatever nation we have. But in India, we have these guys are not into nation building. They are more into personal uh, wealth accumulation, living the jet set life with one foot outside India, one lot of money into accounts here and there. Uh, almost like if India fell apart, they've got they're okay. Mm. You know, so they are not really committed and invested so much in India that uh, they can't afford to lose it. Is that's the problem I see with them. So, but at least to some extent, there is also now a rising middle class. So some wealth is also coming back. Confidence is coming back. So when you have political autonomy and more, more and more financial economic auton autonomy, the next level is you need to look at the intellectual domain. So that's where we are today. Mm -hmm. We have to now not lose time, but we have to take control of the discourse about our civilization, about the humanities and social sciences, away from this Western-dominated discourse that we have uh, adopted. Uh, this is not an easy battle. Mm -hmm. And this is where things are at now. This is where my work is. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that I, I don't see too many people actually helping. No, no. Do you think that the battle of Sanskrit uh, uh, and the uh, uh, Rohan Murthy library issue, uh, that there are some wealthy Indians now rethinking how they leave a legacy? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the battle is too new. The battle for Sanskrit battle is less than four months old. We'll see. Mm -hmm. What we have done is we've challenged and shaken up the previous way of thinking that, you know, it was uncontested. Nobody had stood up and said, here is this man from overseas who's getting all this grant to uh, get 500 volumes translated. My God, there is no review committee from the traditional side to critique him. There's no, uh, no, no uh, kind of evaluation going on. I mean, it's like because he's so great, he's uh, unchallenged. Nobody dares to stand up to him. Uh, now we've questioned that. You know, but of course they've come back fighting with all the all their weapons and all the mainstream media supporting this man. But the cracks are there in their edifice. That's clear. Okay. Uh, and so also this business of uh, serenading and saluting and making a big idol out of this guy in various festivals and all of that. You know, people have to now realize that okay, some people are contesting him. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I've stuck my neck out, and it's you know it's very it's very sort of sad. I stick my neck out. I expect a lot of people behind me and they love this bull fight, this bull is tough bull, we back him. But when he's hit, we run away. So there is this, uh, uh, in, the, uh, in this movie uh, about D-Day, uh, what is it called, the great something, the general pattern, the, the, when, you know, when the allied forces, when the United States invades, you know, Europe to get rid of Hitler. Uh, there is this general pattern, this is a scene where general pattern is in one of these tanks and he's growing forward, you know, and there's a huge army of tanks, rows and rows, all these people following him. I have these nightmares that I'm in one of these and I'm running this Kurukshetra and you know, when the I look back, when I, when, no, no, they're all backing me, big, you know, drums beating and all that. And when the fighting starts, I look back and they all run away. This is my nightmare because I face this all the time. It's almost like I have to go calling up saying, hey, hello, hello, boy, you know that they hit, oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, I was thinking, but you know something, ultimate victory will be ours, sir. Uh, you don't have to worry, you know, ultimate victory will be ours, sir. Hinduism has survived survive. so long. And sir, sir, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. This is our, the 
Kshatriyata level. And yet the same people want to go and become glorified and talk big about how when it's, an, when it's a conclave, when it's time to give medals and it's time to uh, take honor, they're all there lined up like we are some big shots. But they don't have combat experience. Mm. And I'm sorry, combat experience is not uh, talking to insiders. Combat experience is you go physically, face to face, you're outnumbered. You know, and, and for 25 years I did that. Mm -hmm. and, and most of the time in the first 15 years, I was the only Hindu standing up in big gatherings and not afraid to whatever they'll say to me and insult me and abuse me and all that. But I have to say my piece. Mm -hmm. And that's how I learned. You learned, you learned fighting, not in some controlled environment and friendly fight. You learn fighting in the combat field, in the actual battlefield, being fought at with arrows and bullets shot at you. And only then you learn how to fight back. Right. So this kind of a spirit we haven't had. Right, right. That's, a, that's a problem. Now, how do you bring this teamwork that we spoke about earlier into into uh, the Kurukshetra? How do so, you apply it? Give me examples, uh, concrete ways that people can. So I think that uh, to can work together. So teamwork is a part of institution building. Uh, there are three components that we need. One is knowledge, second is human resource, and third is institutions. If you have if you have knowledge, I'm producing knowledge. And we need to produce a lot more. Knowledge of various kinds, both disrupting the other side and constructing our side. The disruptive knowledge and the constructive knowledge. We need to do both. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's a huge, uh, broad spectrum of knowledge we need to produce. There's enough room for everybody. We don't have to compete and bring down anybody else. If you have a specialized area, go do it. Let somebody else do whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. So this knowledge development is a big part. Then the second area is human resource development. Now, a lot of Hindu organizations exist with a large number of, a large army of people, but they don't have knowledge. Their knowledge is obsolete. They haven't cut, kept up with the new knowledge because they are not monitoring the latest state of play. So they're teaching them old things, which is obsolete. So what, they have a human resource, they have training programs, they have management training, leadership training, places where they send all these people. But these people are not learning what they, what they're learning is not enough. It's not competitive because they do not have that knowledge producing capability for themselves. So they have no knowledge, but they have human resource. And then we have those who have infrastructure, institutional mechanisms, but they don't have trained people. But there, 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 is a, there are a lot of institutional, uh, rich institutions, mm -hmm. which don't have uh, new, uh, for instance, I'll give you an example. I like Ramakrishna Mission. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of good Swamis who are backing me. Uh, and Ramakrishna Mission is sort of decentralized, so every location's Swami is independent. So Swami in a particular, uh, particular town, an ashram in a particular town uh, from Ramakrishna Mission can invite you, be very close to you. And you may or may not be very close to a different one. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a centrally controlled mechanism. Mm -hmm. And I have very good relations. So I'm a friend of theirs, and what I'm saying is actually as a friend. I think it's one of the richest Hindu institutions, but depleted of human resource. Richest in terms of? Wealth. Okay. In terms of lakhs of crores of real estate. Oh, okay. They are, got it. They have so much real estate, so much uh, wealth they have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they have huge locations in prestigious places. So it's a very major, and I'm very happy that, that we need Hindu organizations like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, where is the next Vivekanand? Where is the, where is, where, how, where, why haven't been able, why haven't they been able to um, reproduce that 
and, and, and get more people of that caliber. Where is that human resource of that caliber of leadership? Yeah, I'm, I'm not talking about somebody who just teach the old knowledge. Right. Yeah, that. Also, where is the new knowledge? I mean, Vivekananda was creating, very innovative in taking old Sanatan Dharma and really making a whole new modern thing out of it, but not inventing something new like these Neo-Hinduism people play, right. and, uh, making the old thing valuable and repackaged for, with a new vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So why hasn't, a hundred years later, why, has, why haven't this been done more? You know, so that's an, that's an example where you have infrastructure and, and institutional apparatus, but it is not being fully utilized. The mm -hmm. utilization is very low. Yeah. So there is a, my, my feeling is that the, out of the three, knowledge, human resource and infrastructure, it's the knowledge which is lacking the most. Current, latest, up-to-date knowledge. Mm -hmm. That knowledge production, which is the hallmark of our culture, mm -hmm. producing the knowledge in all these Nalanda type places and exporting it to the world, that we're not producing new knowledge. I mean, we, uh, the, we are getting knowledge from the West and we are adding to it in some ways and we are regurgitating, recycling our old traditional knowledge, teaching the same old stuff. Mm -hmm. But we are not really creating new stuff. And so one of the things I talked about is we should create new smithies. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting so much opposition from some of these traditionalists saying, why do we want to create new smithies? Who are we to create new smithies? Almost like they're scared. You know who's creating new smithies? Pollock students. Mm -hmm. They have something called liberation philology. Political philology is the diagnostic. Diagnose using their lens, diagnose Hindu culture in a way that will deconstruct us. And this is a prescription. And then liberation philology is the prescriptive arm, the new smritis for human rights. This is what human rights should be. Mm -hmm. This is what new dance should be. The new Bharatanatyam should be like this, mm -hmm. arts. So the whole re reintroducing, reinventing, using our vocabulary, our symbols, our Hindu kids, okay, and reselling it very subtly back to us as praise to us. And then 500 volumes of books also. So this is basically a whole new upgraded, up, uh, or missed, or either distorted, whatever, depending on your point of view, according to me, fabricated, distorted, infiltrated, you know, poisoned uh, smritis, according to them, upgraded smritis. So it depends on your point of view. So if, if we are afraid to do new smritis, uh, you know, and the new modern young people, they want modern things. They want to address modern things. They want modern vocabulary. They want to. They want uh, something that is new which addresses their generation. They don't want to keep parroting the same old thing. So all that supply is coming from those people. Because our people are refusing to do it, don't even know that we need to do it. Don't even know what the Pollock group is doing. Right. That's how obsolete we are. So when we build intellectual capital, yes. What lessons can we learn from Western Indology as we do this? In your, your 25 years of experience in this field, what are the things that you see are, are key for success? Yeah, so I, you know, the West has been at it for a long time in terms of studying us and creating knowledge, creating human resource and creating institutional infrastructure. They've been at it for a very long time. I mean, they had the institutional infrastructure because the church was there, the empire was there. They had very powerful mechanisms. Uh, but to create, uh, you know, knowledge and then train their people in human resource to have a multiplier well, took a very long time. Back 10 years ago, I stopped uh, doing an annual census of uh, who's who in the, the West on uh, India studies. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and it's very interesting. I used to do this all the time. I used to get some kids to scan all the conferences, all the journals. But after you finish, tell us why you stopped as uh, well. Uh, funding and nobody supporting me and nobody wanting to buzz. You know, I started this long ago because I'm an industry analyst. So if I go to an industry, I want to make a uh, database of who's who. I want all the players. And I want to keep tracking them and profiling them and who does what and who funds what and who, who who's uh, doing what kind of a uh, point of view. I had a huge database. And... I used to go, whenever somebody would say they know it all, one of my favorite questions was, okay, how many people are full-time uh, professionals, full-time researchers on India? Tell me, is it uh, 500, is it 5,000, is it 2,000? Tell me. And they didn't know. They had no clue. So I would give them the number. I, I, could say, I would say I can send you a breakdown by discipline and by this place, that place, that place. I could tell them. Now, this, show, this was actually a very large number of people, a few thousand. And I had breakdown by what, what all they're doing. It takes a lot of money to fund all this. It takes a lot of strategy to put it all together. There's a reason for putting it together. You're not doing it as a hobby and you're not doing it out of generosity. You're doing it because it helps you, uh, you know, manage different parts of the world. And South Asia was not the only one. They had similar for China and similar for Russia and similar for various parts of the world. A very systematic way of studying different parts of the world on their own terms. So this has to come from the highest level. It's not something that I can or we, a few of us can manage. We need a lot of government support. We need the Indian equivalent of Ford Foundation. Uh, you know, where is the Indian equivalent of all these Carnegie Foundation and, uh, you know, whatever, all these different uh, Templeton Foundation, Rockefeller people, Fulbright. These are all private endowments. and PU, PU Trust. So these are all private endowments. We have spent our money on some other things and not into the uh, huge, uh, there are a few foundations, but they are doing very small tactical work. They got five people somewhere. You know, they're not really into this. So I feel that this team building and this infrastructure building uh, is part of, you take the knowledge, you first develop knowledge, you take the knowledge and create human resource and you have infrastructure, journals, conferences, funding for jobs for these people. You have a whole strategy to do that, and then you will get some results. So, in a in a very small scale way, this uh, I think this uh, initiative of Kannan, Professor Kannan in in uh, Bangalore, who's going to do this uh, conference on Pollock, you know, response to Pollock in Chennai in July, uh, and then there'll be another one, another one. This uh, and each of these conferences bring a few tens of people, and they will be. Analyze. How do you create more Kannans, if you will? So, I don't know. I think Kannan is a very good man. Uh, he's, uh, he combines uh, knowledge of Sanskrit. Uh, he knows Kannada and he's brilliant in English. And main thing about him is his attitude is one to learn. I'll tell you something. When I was doing this research on Pollock, several people wanted to help me saying, how do I help you? And I said, you know, I need more traditional helpers. So I'm doing all this reading Pollock. He writes in English. I'm reading it in English. And I'm very good at going and chasing all his leads here and there because he refers to so many Western th thinkers, Western idiom. I chase it down and I uh, bring it together. Now, I need people from our traditional background to also start reading Pollock independently and uh, give us their analysis. Now, this was... This request was sent to several friends and they sent it to their, the best traditional scholars they knew. Mm -hmm. uh, one group in uh, Houston hired somebody for a few months mm -hmm. and he couldn't do anything. 
one group one person in uh, denver hired somebody uh, one uh, the the chair of sanskrit uh, in delhi university recommended me an adjunct professor and said this person has finished her phd she's very good in all these things she will work for you you have to pay her so somebody paid her so a number of these very well referred traditional scholars were brought into this picture not one of them could do a darn thing not one of them could do anything they were trained in the western they were one of them went to mysore to look for this archive got it copies wrote to us and sent us photocopies but we're not looking for raw data we're looking for some analysis mm. we're looking for some conclusions some point of view some you know something that flows a, a narrative a thesis none of that they could do and they are well recommended people so but this but i will tell you the most honest uh, response which impressed me was from kannan who took a few weeks uh, came back and said you know to do justice it'll take a year or two it is not a three month job uh, because you have to build, we don't even in india have a, a library where most of his works are found right that is correct we don't that even is, have that, that so how can some people say we've done it all this year all this has been done we don't even these, uh, journals are not accessible we don't even have his books it costs 70 80 dollars we don't even have them okay so nobody there has them he come and give a nice sweet talk everywhere and everybody clap because nobody read his work you know so kanan is the first honest traditional guy who said we need to have a library we will have take a year or two to read all that stuff uh, then we have to learn the western thought that he's uh, referring to which also we don't know we don't have all those books that he's referring to so it will take a lot of effort by people who are really good at it so i like that honesty so i think that to cre- to find more kannans we need smart people who are also very honest in what we are limited in where is our strength where is our limitation who are able to say you know that tra- we are in our traditional training we did not learn certain things let's go learn them the problem is we do not have enough kannan like people because they do not want to say we have some shortcomings and they find it to be uh, upsetting and they are insulted because one guy is coming and telling them we have shortcomings according to them we are perfect we already done it all who are you to tell but us also isn't it a question of resources uh, in terms of no but you know? kannan didn't have resources it was just that honesty resources would come and they will come to him they are coming to him because he's honest in saying i need this these gaps filled and to fill these gaps here are the budgets and people are putting money into it people are backing him because it's very clear he's got integrity and he's going to he's going to produce something so uh, i wish there were other people like that another one is uh, uh, sampadal mishra in pondicherry he wants to start a library of translations to compete against he has his bande matram library concept uh, he wants to start that and he's a very solid guy he's a very sincere guy i've known him for a long time he's a orbindo follower uh, he's also uh, very straight in saying we need resources we haven't done rather than saying it's all been done it's better to know one's limitations right, right. that's where you, you start you can't you yeah exactly you cannot solve a problem if you're in denial mm-hmm. that's that's where we are with uh, quite a, s- a certain segment one group i won't name uh because i think here we want to make friends with everybody mm-hmm. and and uh, you know even when you're pointing out limitations we are not trying to make it personal or insult anybody yes. but one very prominent sanskrit university invited me uh, in this event in this tour and i gave a talk and i talked about i said how many uh, of you have ever done purva paksha uttar paksha of uh, western indologists nobody raised their hand there were about 200 people 
So I, I said, none of you have done it. So, you know, this is very strange. One guy rose his, raised his hand and then second guy. The second guy stood up and they're both well-known, prominent people. The second guy stood up and said, shame on us Indologists for have not, we have let the country down and we haven't done this before. Mm -hmm. He said it, and, but I'm starting an institution where we will begin to do it. So he's very honest. Uh, the other guy said, I've done it and all that. So later during the event, he went to the mic and he said, I've done it. And he, oh, we're going to show this to Pollock. And, you know, we don't like what he said. We will really give him hell and all that. He started all this demagoguery talk against Pollock and saying that, oh, I've really done it. I said, thank you. But remember that you are on the tape and now, you know, now you have to deliver. You can't just talk and go away. And he said, oh, yeah, I know I'm on video. No problem. So then we met that evening. And, uh, and I said, the concrete, to make it concrete, you give me a proposal that you want to do this, this conference where you'll be doing the Purva Paksha. Let's get some people to sponsor you. I'm out of the way. I just want to help facilitate, facilitate. it. And then I'm out of the way. And he sent me a proposal also. And then soon thereafter was this big controversy because some IIT Bombay people criticized the Murthy family's library, uh, Murthy Classics library. And so the Murthy Classics people... Uh, multi-family, they fought back with a lot of PR, a lot of crores of rupees worth of articles and whatnot. And so the same fellow write to me saying, remove my name from that video. But of course it's too late because the video is gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, you know, we can't uh, get involved because, you know, uh, there may be crores of money coming from the other side, you know, because the multi-family got more money. Mm -hmm. So that's hard thinking, opportunism. Now, in Mahabharat, who were the people who were doing like that? Who were sometimes like this and sometimes like that? I, I mean, I think uh, lots of people are misled. Uh, you know, Drona could be one, maybe okay. Ka Karna could be another. Uh, there's no clear thinking. I think that's where, uh, at least Duryodhana was consi consistent with bad thinking from the beginning. <laughs> so, we have the Duryodhana, that is the type one, that is the opponent. Right. Right? right. But we have in our own midst, midst the Karna type people. The Drona type people. Uh, but a lot of uh, low level types, Dronas and Karnas, who may not be that skilled also. But they are uh, this opportunist running around, jumping from this side to that side, privately saying one thing, publicly saying another thing. And so my diagnosis is that this is lack of Guru. Because you need the inner transformation, mm -hmm. something to anchor you, some foundation, something which is non-compromisable. There is no sale, no price for it. It is just, there is just no way you will ever sell out on that issue, on that, at that deep level. And this is the transformation a guru gives. And maybe we don't have that many, those kind of caliber gurus, or I don't know what the reason is, but I don't find people who are so deeply transformed, that if they are joining, they're doing it for some kind of a reason, some but logic. On the flip side, you have many Western scholars who uh, do not have gurus, who come to India, who, do, who Marxists that you yourself talked about, yes. that don't change their ideology when they come to study the other, and uh, they return home so somehow, unscathed. You, so you have, to, you have to give credit that somehow the Christian evangelist system and the Islamic uh, you know, imams system have produced a very large number of people over a very long period of time, who will go to remote parts of the world, sacrifice their lifestyle, live in poverty and disease and suffering and whatnot for the sake of a cause, and 
one has to figure out why, how they done it, you know. Because these missionaries who go and live with the poor people, some of them are really living in a bad situation. They are sharing the lifestyle of the people that they're with. They go to Africa, Latin America, some poor areas of India. So do you think Hinduism itself kind of is, uh, you know, it's a double-edged sword where, you know, if you have blind faith and just follow a mandate, you go out and you're a good soldier. Whereas when you are in a tradition that uh, constantly asks you to question and... Uh, you know, revise and looks at pramana and don't accept anything other than, you know, these set instruments of knowledge, whatever. Um, so does that make you less of a, a, a kshatriya, so to speak? But it could also be, it could be that, but it could also be that, that they promise something in heaven, right. which is, uh, you know, which is... Uh, the grand prize. The grand prize and a fear that if you don't get it, you have only one chance, you will go to serious hell. So you either go to this great heaven... And they have their own ideas of heaven and all. I have to ask them if you have a floor plan. Do you have a map? I mean, do I know which bungalow I'll get? How do I negotiate? I mean, I've asked them and it's amazing that some of them take it literally and they really start answering. Like if you go to the uh, Salt Lake City, which is the headquarters of the Mormon Church, I had them give me a tour. And, and uh, you know, I got into all these kind of discussions because they thought that this guy is a real good prospect. He's really, it's like prospecting for a retirement community. He's really wanting to know details. And I wanted to ask them very detailed on how, what's in the menu and, you know, do you, can you swim? How often do they have golf like that? And they really thought it like this guy really is into it, you know. So some people have a very literal view of uh, heaven. And some don't, haven't thought it through, but it's some grand place that you, you have all the You want to worry about the details later. And somebody else would probably know, who cares, but they'll all know about it. And so, and then there's this horrible thing about hell. So maybe it's this fear, that they have this idea of fear, and they have this grand idea of heaven. So it takes people who go for it for their whole life. But I don't know how they could not have thought through that this is stupid, you know. I mean, at some level, they're smart, they're smart, and they should say, well, this is all foolish. But somehow they are able to keep these guys going. Somehow we have not... Uh, had that kind of a teamwork on a very collective scale. We have our people too who go to villages and sacrifice a lot. Yeah. We have our good people. We have people from the Sangh who go to all kinds of places, people from Ramakrishna Mission, people from all kinds of places. They, they go to the poor areas. The uh, Aim for Seva, you know, we did a project in Nagapatinam village for Aim for Seva. Sheila Balaji runs it and we're very impressed with their kind of work. So we have. Mm -hmm. We have. But somehow, Either we haven't had it for a long enough time, maybe we just after independence we started these things, and maybe in another 50 years we'll have more, maybe. Uh, it takes time. But somehow, uh, as of today, uh, we are not competitive with uh, these other people. And, you know, the, the Marxist, Maoist, leftist NGOs are very impressive in their success rate. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are not driven by heaven or hell. Now, that's right. a different, right. that's right. a very different, now when I have to ask, they're not driven by this heaven or hell. But, you know, there are these young people who go from, come from good homes and they, like so many people from my St. Stephen's College, they've gone into these NGO kind of areas, they left the good life and they've struggled for decades and they're really into trying to champion something. So they have had the ability to uh, excite some young people and devote their whole life into it. Right, which we haven't. Which we haven't. So our strength, our methodology, I think, is the, is the inner transformation through sadhana methodology. They have their own methods of championing this so in our case we need more gurus to transform people and then rather than them pursuing only an adhyatmic life 
they have to also be told to connect with the humanity. We have harika, connect with it. This is your karma. You have to perform this. this is a, you have to do something for dharma also, not only for yourself. And don't be so selfish and just trying to look after yourself and your family and so on. But you have to do it for the bigger community. This is something we have to encourage. Encourage and teach people. I encourage think. and teach people. So on that uh, note, uh, Rajiv, it was again a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. Uh, learned a lot uh, and lots more to do. And I want to thank you for all the great help you are giving. And you are really part of the tier two top. You're, you're a great star. I just want you to know that uh, even though we've worked together for a few months, you've made a huge impact. Oh, thank you so much. You have it's made a, a huge impact. And I feel so happy that I know a few people now who are solid and who can keep this going. And I, I want you to keep this sort of thing going. I think more people will join as they as they understand. As as you rightly mentioned, it has to be an internal transformation. And yeah. people have to do it for the right reasons. So it's through understanding that people join the uh, the part of us. So I guess uh, it's a slow process, but I think we'll... But we need more than five of them. Right. Today, right? <laughs> right. And we need a lot of them. No, no, yeah. yeah. Not just Panchapandavas. Yeah. We need a lot of them. Right. Thank you so much, Rajiv. Thank you so much. Great. Bye-bye.